Jesse Douglas Smith McGraw, and this is What Moves You with Jesse. I'm a transformative coach on a mission to share an understanding of how our minds work that challenges how we react to life and our thoughts. I love to share stories and common sense ideas that empower you to take charge of yourself in a way that brings immediate and profound change. What I know to be true is that we are all innately healthy and doing our best with the thinking we have available to us on a moment-to-moment basis. And waking up to this will change what moves you. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. I am very honored to share with you this week's guest, who has had an incredible impact on my life, as well as the hundreds of thousands of folks who have read his books, including the New York Times bestseller, Tattoos on the Heart, who have seen his TED Talk on Compassion and Kinship, And this doesn't even touch the thousands upon thousands of lives he has supported with his nonprofit, Homeboy Industries. If you aren't familiar with Homeboy Industries, it is the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world that has over the past 30 years seen the tide of gang activity in Los Angeles turn, the field of reentry services broaden and watched public safety become more enlightened in ways that would not have been possible without the advocacy of Homeboy Industries. And our guest today is the founder and director. I dare you to try to get through today's conversation without having your heart be completely moved and broken wide open. So without further ado... Here is Father Greg Boyle. Hi, Jess. Good to see you. So good to see you, too. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It is, to say it is an honor is an understatement. Well, the feeling's mutual, so thanks. Thank you. Um, So in the introduction to this episode, I have already described Homeboy Industries for everybody. Um, and the magnificence that you have created there. Um, But to start off, I did want to put my own heartfelt experience of being at Homeboy um, myself, because I was, when I first came to meet with you and have a meeting about, you know, how could I help and be involved, um, just sitting in the waiting area with everybody else who was waiting to have a meeting with you, (laughs) all of the different homies and everybody else that was, you know, there are so many different folks. The feeling of love was palpable. And I remember when I got into the office to speak with you, it was the first thing I said to you and I was brought to tears and I don't think we had even said hello yet. (laughs) I think it's the effect you have. Well, not me. I mean, it's really the, uh, you're right. I mean, a lot of people have that experience. A, a woman came in and her husband and they were like from Indiana or something. They had just spent, you know, they were in the cafe. They got a tour. They sat where you sat in the reception area. 
And then um, they came into my office at sort of the end of the day and, and she just was sobbing and she couldn't stop crying. And then she finally said, pointing to the place, she said, this is the Sistine Chapel. And, and I thought it was very cute and wonderful and true. I mean, it's kind of like this amazing work of art. It's, it's, it's people who are tender with each other, and that's a foreign land for most people. Absolutely. I, I don't think I ever told you, but after I left Homeboy, because you were kind enough to get a homie to give me a tour of the place, which was wonderful. And he was so kind. Um, but after I left, I sat in my car and I sobbed for about a half an hour. <laughs> oh, so I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to put my finger on it. It's, it's what we call the magic of the swinging of the doors. You know, once you kind of walk in and a homie said once there's, there's an aroma and yeah, it's, it's, as you said, palpable. Yes. And I know that you are not one to, uh, you know, <laughs> tout your goodness because you are the ultimate humble human being, but it's got to start somewhere. And I'm pretty sure the seed starts with you, my friend. Not really. I, not any, no, you know, I, and I don't mean that this is not false. This is, I, you know, I, was in San Francisco and somebody was introducing me and talking about how I had transformed thousands of lives. And it was, you know, it was an evening of a thousand winces, you know, I went, Oh, <laughs> and I, you know, well, they were well-meaning, but it's like what transforms is not, we don't transform each other. You know, I don't transform anybody. But you can create a culture that's transformational. And I think that's what, you know, so it's the place that transforms. So everybody holds a piece. You have the homie security guards who are doing sidewalk therapy and all that stuff. Everybody gives a dose. We talk a lot about dosing at, at Homeboy. And so it's not like, you know, a therapist in a 50-minute session, well, that kind of did the trick. Or sitting in my office does the trick. But it's a combo burger of all those things that bring people to, you know, their truth. And they can live from that place where they love being loving. And, and you know, you could ask yourself, does that always happen? And the answer is, yeah, it always happens. That's fantastic. In my work, I, my, um, you know, the intention of what I do with people is that the way that I see it, and I think this is why what you say resonates so much with me, is um, that I see that everybody is good inside. And then there's their behavior. And if the behavior doesn't kind of match the goodness that I know exists inside of them, I'd like to get curious about what is it that they're believing inside of themselves that is kind of taking them away from their goodness. Does that sound that's about exactly, right? That's exactly right. And, and it's where you start is where you're going to end up. So if you start, as you just said perfectly, that, you know, everybody is unshakably good. So let's begin there. I think that's true. I don't know. And I've never met an exception. 
and we belong to each other, which means we're meant to be connected. So um, this is on my mind because I, I just saw it and, and on CNN, it had uh, a, a teenage boy wearing a mask at a lectern in front of a school board, I think in Florida. And he was giving testimony about masks, I guess. And behind him were two women who were kind of in their 30s. They didn't have masks on. And they were holding up signs that said, let our kids smile. And the boy was talking very tearfully about his grandmother who died of COVID. And the two women behind him are laughing at what he's saying. Okay, so where you start is where you'll end up. If you begin with, I mean, how do you name what that is? If you say jerks, if you say morons, if you demonize those two women or whatever, first of all, they belong to us and they're unshakably good. So that's where we begin. Now, how do you name that? These two women laughing while a guy, a, a teenager, a minor, is tearfully grieving his grandmother who died of COVID. And I think if you correctly name it, it's, it's, you're talking about a real mental health crisis in our country. So, and then now what do we do? Well, we extend help to those two women because they're not well, they're not whole, they're not healthy. I don't have to demonize them. I don't have to call them idiots or jerks. I, because that doesn't, that, that distances and it estranges us from each other. But I think that's important what you said, that it's, if you begin with goodness, then, then you kind of want to know, wow, what is the wound that undergirds that delusion of those two women? And then suddenly you haven't demonized anybody and, and you want to compassionately love them into wholeness. But our diagnosis is so bad and so distancing and, and we just do it all day long and it doesn't get us very far. Exactly, exactly. And when you really start to recognize what we are talking about, it's easier to kind of look objectively at what are, you know, again, what is it that's going on inside of your mind that is, you know, clouding your experience, meaning for those women, what is going yeah. on inside of your mind that is clouding your experience of what's happening in the present moment. And it, yeah. again, it has nothing to do with them. It just has everything to do with what's going on in their state of mind. And it's about pain and wound and injury yes. and, because it's presenting this way, you mentioned the word behavior. At Homeboy, we, we don't want to ever be tripped up by behavior. Behavior is a language. Behavior is an indicator. You know, it points beyond itself. Okay, what's, what's the thorn, as the homies say, what's the thorn underneath? Find the thorn. You know, rather than say, we're going to banish you because of this behavior. Fantastic. Yep. So I want to go, I want to rewind a little bit. And I was wondering if I can ask you, because I've actually in the books, you know, I've, I've read your books and I've watched your talks and I know you've touched on it. 
but would you be open to sharing uh, what made you want to become a priest? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if I wanted to become a priest. You know, I wanted to join join the Jesuits. So next year, 2022, it'll be 50 years that I've been a Jesuit. So I feel more inclined to the, what we call La Compañía de Jesús, you know, the, the Company of Jesus, the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. The Pope is a Jesuit, for example. And it's the largest religious order in, in the Catholic Church. But I was educated by the Jesuits. And so, you know, um, I suppose if I hadn't had such a good experience being exposed to them, and they were, there were so many of them, and they were joyful. That was the thing I loved the most. They were the most hilarious human beings I ever was around. But they laughed from the stomach, as the homies always say, which was never superficial, really fun indicating a joy which i liked and at the same time so this was in the early 70s uh you know 68 to 72 um was anti-war stuff so you know daniel bergen though I, I i i was in his presence once i never met him but but he was kind of a hero of mine and at that time he was on the run FBI was looking for him. And I found that kind of wonderful because it was like um, he was living as though the truth were true. He was putting first things recognizably first. He was living the gospel, which I found really compelling and attractive. So I joined the Jesuits. And, it, and at some point it was like, huh, oh, yeah, I guess huh, you become a priest. That's part of the thing. But that was way secondary to becoming a Jesuit and living in community and the, and the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola and what we call our charism, you know, and, and our way of seeing and thinking and finding God in all things. And so I liked all that stuff. And, and the priesthood was just sort of, you know, now, I don't want to say an afterthought, but pretty close. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about those pillars of, of the Jesuits? Like you said, seeing God in all things. Is there more to that? Well, there's a, a thing that he, he came up with, which is, you know, very sophisticated in terms of psychology. And it's called the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. So, there's a way, lots of ways of making this kind of retreat. So there's the 30-day silent retreat, which in 50 years I've done twice, where you're silent for 30 days and you see a spiritual director. So it's about prayer and discernment and trying to find, you know, your own truth and and what is the deepest longing of your heart. So it's and then there are other ways. You know, there's smaller versions of the exercises. So finding God in all things uh, is sort of paramount. Uh, the discernment of spirits, you know, try to, you know, we, uh, we're never having to choose between something good and bad, but from, we're always being asked to choose between competing goods. And so how do you discern? How do you know? How do you, you know, um, 
somehow read the signs of consolation and desolation and 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 know your the, the goal is not to be a stranger to yourself and then you can proceed from that place you know where you're um you know listening and you're attentive and and the goal is is to really find your true self and loving as best you can and and the thing isn't to find god's will you know but really to find what you most deeply want which will always be god's will it's never going to be different than that but the problem is we don't really know what we want and we don't know who we are and we're estranged and and so the whole goal and thrust of the exercises is is to um, again to be anchored in love and sustained by the god who you know loves you without measure and without regret beautiful does that kind of lead into because of course the next question that comes to mind is what was the thing that you discovered was the deepest part of yourself that you wanted to bring forth into the world and my next question that i had written down was uh what was the impetus for starting homeboy industries so do those two things kind of go together or or what do you what do you suppose yeah i i suppose so i mean again especially now you know we're in our fourth headquarters we've been around for 33 years and people walk into our headquarters and look at it and they go as you did and you say wow how did you think this up and and then I, I always think, well, I don't think I did, actually. I never conceived of this. I never imagined it. I didn't think this up. So it evolved, and you were just constantly responding to things as they came up, you know. And so uh, then you were, you know, responding to burying kids. I just buried my 250th mm. gang member just uh last week and you know but in the early days i was just you know i had eight funerals in a in a three-week period and so it was just constant and shooting all the time so you're trying to respond to that you're trying to respond to kids who schools won't take and so they're creating you know mischief out in the streets so what do we do with them and how do you infuse hope to kids for whom hope is foreign since gang violence was about a lethal absence of hope so so you just evolve and you deal with things as they come up so but i think in the process also the first part of your question about discovering you know the, the depth of my soul is really kind of the true thing for everybody which is to find your true self in loving and then you love being loving and it's hard to sustain that because you you get derailed you you end up loving being right or you love winning the argument or you love drawing lines and and separating us from them and that's a constant temptation and and so in the meantime you want to stand in awe at what people have had to carry rather than in judgment at how they carry it but that's the practice that's the hard work it's hard to do 
Yeah. I think that might be, I remember when I was first, when, when we had our meeting and I was talking to you about how I teach people about thought, you know, about that's, that's the thing that gets us, that's the thing that gets in the way of us really feeling our true essence all the time. Cause like what you're saying about, you know, then we kind of get married to these ideas of being right and drawing the line in the sand, you know, that's again, just a, an implication of these, of the stories in our head and the things that we think and they aren't who we truly are. It's just a mechanism, you know, it's our mechanism at work in our mind. And when you start to just wake up to that, it becomes easier and easier to start to discern, to use your perfect word, between who you truly are and what your mind is doing and how yeah. it's influencing your, the way you're showing up in the world, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you manage burying the people that you love? Cause I know that you deeply love all of these homies that you embrace and take into homeboy industries. Well, I learned a long time ago. I don't want to suggest that it's a trick, but, or a coping mechanism, but <clears throat> you know, you kind of want to put death in its place. It, if death is the worst thing that can happen to you, then you will be toppled by life itself. And so I just learned a long time ago, oh, death isn't the worst thing that can happen. But we we're, that's our go-to defunct kind of default place, which is death is the worst thing that can happen. And it sets us up. It doesn't mean you you don't attach to people or you don't engage with people or you don't enter into some relational wholeness with people. You do. It doesn't mean you don't feel grief. But a lot of times people think grief is some cul-de-sac, you know, that where you end and that's it. I, I talked to a homie today who's... Uh, still quite bereft by the death of his father and uh and he can't shake it and he's not sleeping and and you know there's no i don't have a magic wand for that though i'm glad he came by because he got a dose from a lot of people i could watch him people are hugging him and people are laughing with him and he's getting a dose of, of the culture that will lift him out of this place. So, so it's grief is either a cul-de-sac or you're curious about it. You lean into it. You, you allow it to loosen you and loosen things up. And, and then pretty soon you savor grief because grief is not supposed to leave you where it found you. And, and then pretty soon you're, a word that St. Ignatius always talked about was relish. Can you, can you get to the place where you relish that? And I like that, you know, because it, it would, nobody would ever, no one would think to relish a death or the grieving of someone you love. But I, that's what we're called to do. 
But we, we, we find ourselves in a dead end, a cul-de-sac called grief and death. And sometimes we just don't know that you're supposed to, you're not supposed to stay there. So maybe it's a trick that I learned long ago, um, you know, to have a light grasp. And, and clinging, as the Buddhists would say, are, is the source of all our suffering. So you try not to cling to anybody. And, you know, you've, you feel the loss, but you, you just uh, lean into it rather than flee it. And that way you don't get toppled. You, you embrace it and you encounter it as we ought, as we ought to. Can you share more about what you mean by death isn't supposed to leave us the way it found us? Well, you know, we allow it to just sort of leave us one way, which is bereft, heartbroken, or, or, or as the measure of how much do we love people. And, and it isn't, you know, it's, you know, because all of us are going to die. And none of us are going to live forever, but every one of us can choose to live in the forever. So, so that's kind of how you want to exist is living in the forever. So setbacks will come and disappointment and sadness and, but you, you, you don't stay there. You, you, you're anchored in the forever which is a constant choosing, choosing, you know, none of this is once and for all, you know, I decided this yesterday and that's it for me. No, it's you, you cherish with every breath you take, you do it today. And guess what? You got to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> and, and so, but you think that that's the way it's going to be, that it's once and for all, you make progress, you know, the choosing to cherish maybe gets easier or you're more facile. That's the whole point of practice. What's your practice? So, you know, practice, as they say, practice doesn't make perfect. It makes permanent. And then pretty soon you're, you're seeing the world in a certain way. And, and then you're finding the things that are more powerful than death, which is the whole point. And then you know who you are and, and nothing can touch you, not even death. Death is afraid of, of that. You know, death trembles at the sight of somebody who knows who he or she is and wants to live from that place of love. That's incredible. What is your practice? What keeps you going every day of while you shoulder these conversations and all of these relationships that come to you all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure I'm very good at any of it, but I, I, you know, I try to pray every day and I try to I kind of, uh, you know, part of my engine or my gas is mantras. I had one the other day that I had for a few days. Uh, so it came from the readings for the day. So it was the first reading was be strong, fear not. And then the line from the gospel is where 
Jesus uh, heals the deaf person and talking about the ears says, be opened. And he says, Ephatha. And so, so that was my mantra. So whenever I'm walking or breathing or waiting for the next person to come in, be strong, fear not, be open. And so I find it helpful. It kind of focuses the mind. It prepares me for the next person. And then the main practice is to stay as what I call in the living room, you know, because the living room is where, where you're saved. It's the present moment. You delight in the person in front of you. Otherwise, we're endlessly, we're, we're lamenting what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Why did I say that? Oh, my God. And, and we're beating ourselves up and we're regretting. We lament what happened yesterday. So that's the bathroom, if you will. and then we fret about what is to come which is you know the kitchen kind of what are you going to prepare all necessary rooms but we're asked joy really is found in uh, the living room you know I was thinking you know you know if you like in and out burger you can only taste in and out burger in the present moment. I mean, you can look back and say, wow, that was delicious yesterday. Or you can anticipate it four hours from now, but you can only taste it now in the present moment. And so what's true of in and out burgers is true of, you know, delighting in people. And, and, and that's what you have. So the more you can say, now hear this is another kind of mantra of mine. Now hear this. Another mantra is listen, listen, love, love. It, it's your practice. It's, you know, and I don't want to suggest by saying that I, that this is my practice, that I actually do this well. I, I you know, most of the time you feel like you don't. Most of the time you're lamenting or fretting past or future so but it's it's a good practice is to be able to stay anchored in the present moment and sustained by the kind of god we have what do you um so are you admitting here and now (laughs) that even you are, are have the human condition of of experiencing insecure thinking now and again Oh yeah, I'm a homie. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I gotta see what he said. He texted me yesterday, and you know, he was in prison a long time. And I can think I can say. And he's fighting fires right now. Oh wow. And uh, the candor fire, and he's yeah. such a good, good kid. He worked for us, and and he writes, "You ever feel like you're not good enough, like you're doing everything the right way, you're giving it your all, but it's never enough." I'm sober. I'm out of the game, which means out of the gang banging game, doing everything legit, but I still feel like I'm not good enough. 
I feel fucking empty inside alone. So the question is, do I ever feel that way? And I said, only every day, you know, <laughs> welcome to the human race. And I told him, you know, I kind of wish that he'd come home to us. And just so he could heal in a cherishing community um, that, you know, simply loves him exactly as he is, you know, and homies want to take a shortcut sometimes. They want to, you know, go directly from prison to job. And, and I get it, which is why we pay people to work on themselves at Homeboy. But the truth is, you know, he has a lot of injury and unattended wounds that he really, he can't transform his pain. Uh, I mean, if, if he doesn't transform his pain, like in a community that loves him, he'll just keep, you know, transmitting his pain. And there's no other way. You can't go around your pain. You really have to go through your wound and your injury. And unless you make friends with your wound, you're, you're going to be tempted to despise the wounded. Beginning right here. So it just broke my heart. And I, I'm just noticing that he hadn't replied. It kind of um, gets me disheartened. But he's fighting fires. But um, and doing a good and noble thing. And he, he, they go 40 days without a break. Can you imagine this? Oh, my God. And then they, then they have two days where base camp is Ventura. And so, uh, you know, where, where you take a shower and he sent me pictures. He's just blackened by the smoke, you know. My and then he comes home and I just go, you're my damn hero. And, and everybody, you know, lavishes praise on him because they know what he's doing. Um, I don't know what the end goal is. I mean, I'm glad he's doing this service, but they get paid a pittance. But then at the end of it, you're you're a certified something or other, you know. So anyway, I digress. Is he doing it? Yes, yes, I do feel that way. Oh yes, yes. And then just on a side note about 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 him, is he doing that through the prison system that he's doing that through? No, he he got released. And then he was uh, in a in one of those their new way of keeping people in prison still, where he was locked up. In I mean, he was still doing a sentence apparently. I mean, in a house. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'd see him occasionally. He'd come and visit me. I've known him for a long time. And then he got released, and uh, he actually worked for us. And then he had this opportunity to go fight the fires and. He said, can I just take a leave from homeboy and try this out? And he went with our blessing. So um, there it is. Yeah. 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 But we'll see what he has to say. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'll be thinking about him and hoping that he gets to come home soon and be with you all. Yeah. Because it is, then you you can kind of savor people beholding you, 
you know, some saint talked about God, behold the one beholding you and smiling. Well, you know, we're meant to be in the world who God is. So that's what people do. That's what dosing is about, you know. Now, behold people beholding you and smiling. Yes. Not, not laughing like those women in Florida, but, no. but, but, people, but people who are whole and healthy and well who are beholding you and smiling. Absolutely. And, you know, and you can tell the difference when, you know, where the come from is coming from, you know, it's like you can tell when somebody is coming from their, their, their own heart versus yeah. their, their mind, to say it simplest. Yeah, and, and they do it with each other, and, and they're strangers to each other when they arrive, and they're, some of them are enemies, and some of them used to shoot at each other. Like, I had a homie in my office just today, Isaiah, and we were talking, and this homie came in, older homie, and he was joking, and uh, he looked at Isaiah, and he goes, is Isaiah bothering you? Like he was, uh, you know, security. I go, no, he's not bothering me. And then so the older guy standing there, he act, I say older, he has a cane. He, he did 35 years in prison. And he said, Pops, calls me Pops. He's probably my age. And he said, uh, uh, I need a blessing. I need you to pray because I've got a really special intention. So he bows his head and he closes his eyes. And I'm, I'm, I stay seated in my chair and I, said a blessing prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. And he opens his eyes, lifts his head, and he looks at Isaiah and he goes, damn, he's still there. <laughs> Which cracked me up, you know, and it, on the one hand, he wanted a blessing. On the other hand, he wanted to continue the joke that he secretly was praying that Isaiah would disappear. And it was so sweet, and it just made us all really laugh. <laughs> and and they don't they didn't know each other from any other place, but you know their brief time together here. So it's more family than family, which is always very sweet. Yes, yeah, you know that just kind of reminds me about um, what what led me to you was the actor Richard Cabral, who had gone through Homeboy. And he had done a one man show. And that's when he, he talked, when I went up to talk to him after about all of what he had shared in his, in his, uh, in the play. Um, that's when he was really singing your praises and talking about how significant you were on, on the impact of his life. And anyway, the story that like brought me to tears in his show was him talking about being in the yard in prison and having a moment, a very human moment of realizing that this guy that, you know, they kind of were keeping their space from each other, who they always were in rival gangs and were rivals in general, um, that the only thing between leading him into being in a deeper connection with him and even be allowing him to befriend him was this idea that he was a rival and he had to stick to that idea. And he had this moment while he was in the yard in prison of realizing that that was just an idea that he didn't have to believe anymore. And that's what allowed him to, to lean in and move into the other, the other gentleman and create a relationship. 
And, um, you know, I think that's probably kind of, you know, I would think what, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from your stories and have heard from different stories you've told is that's part of the implication of being at Homeboy Industries with each other in, in community with each other is that they start to kind of see beyond their old systems of beliefs that, that kept them distant from other people. Yeah, I mean, the word repent means to move beyond the mind you have. So we're, we're a place of repentance, not, not a place, you know, where people are beating themselves up or doing penance. But it's all about how do we move beyond the mind we have? And, and that comes when you come to terms with what was done to you and what you've done. And, um, but like you said it, you know, you don't have to, there's a notion. And our notions get us in trouble. It's, you know, there's nothing more consequential in the world than our notion of God. So it's not God, but our notion of God. And so that's that can be the stumbling block so um my friend mirabai star who's a mystic and writes about mystics she says once you know the god of love you fire all the other gods well the same thing is true about your thoughts and and you know move beyond the mind you have you got to fire a lot of gods you know the gang banging god the getting high god the treating women badly god there are all these gods that you need to fire, you know? So even if you don't want to talk about God, you know, it's like, you know, community trumps gang. And so you allow these new notions to take hold and, and they're powerful and, and they're, they can kind of steer the ship if you let it. And, and then, you know, after 18 months of essential healing, then you leave homeboy. And, and for sure the world is gonna throw at you what it will, but this time you're not gonna be toppled by it because you know who you are. You've gained a certain kind of resilience that's enduring. Yes. Would you say that that's something that, um, coming to the end here, I. I have two, two things that I wanted to, to ask you. One is, would you say that there's, what would you say? I'll reframe it. What would you say you have learned from the homies from them? Yeah. You know, there's a kind of a grace and a mercy and a largeness of spirit that's born of, of the fact that they've had to carry so much. So, you know, I'm 67 years old. I grew up in the gang capital of the world, Los Angeles, and I wouldn't have known where gang was if you sent me on a scavenger hunt. And I won every imaginable lottery, which is a credit to my white privilege and not my moral superiority. So, you know, amazing parents and siblings and education and job opportunities and a safe, zip code and and then i look at what they've had to carry and it's so spectacularly huge that i always you know stand in awe 
and, and I want to. And that's the thing that's changed me the most, you know, where you find people having been asked to carry extraordinary things and yet are gracious and merciful and loving and generous and who can, you know, be focused on the other. I had a homie come in today and I know how much he's carrying and, and he just, uh, I just want to ask you a question. I said, sure. He goes, how are you doing? Yeah, well, homies don't ask me how I'm doing because they have too many plates to spin, you know. And I will thank you. Thank you for asking. And, you know, I kind of left me speechless. I didn't know what to say because it's not a, a common thing. And, yeah, you know, he, again, he was able to muster up this other-centered, loving thing that I just, uh, I'm silent in the face of it. Wow. I can feel it. Yeah. So my last and final question for you, sir, is, and you can take it, you can interpret it however you, you wish, that you can answer it however you wish. But what moves you? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm moved by tenderness, you know, how tender people can be. You know, unless we ventilate the world with tenderness, we're not going to make much progress. And so I, I watch folks do it all the time, all day long. It's one of the gifts of being at our place is that that people embrace tenderness which is connective tissue and it's love you know you know if um you know if love is like the water that's hitting a very dry sponge uh, the moment of connection water and sponge that's tenderness and that's when it becomes tender. That's when it becomes a thing that can soak what is dry and fill it and immerse it. And so that's what moves me to watch people do that all the time. Even when you know that, you know, if their stories had been a flame, you'd have to keep your distance. Otherwise, you'd get scorched just torturous things and terrifying things that they've had to endure. And yet they, they have mustered up and found the courage of their own tenderness. I find that extraordinarily moving all the time. Well, you have rendered me speechless. So okay. <laughs> well, it's great, great being with you. It was wonderful being with you, too. Unfortunately for me, I've got another Zoom. <laughs> but, but it won't be nearly as pleasant as my time with you, Jesse. So thank you. Thank you so much, Father Greg. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, kiddo. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to What Moves You with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram, at what moves you with Jesse. 
Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at whatmovesyouwithjessie.com. And please rate and review the show and let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.